Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Freezing Time with me, Sophia Money Coots, created by Offscript. So it is 8.30. I actually don't know when I'm going to be taken down. Taken down to theatre? Does that sound right? Is that overly dramatic? I suppose it is a theatre. It's still an operation. Um, and I'm feeling a bit daunted because, you know, it's an operation and I'm lying here in my gown and my paper knickers with wristbands on both arms. Um, but also excited because I'm about to get it over and done with and for the first time in four over four weeks actually for the first time in four weeks and two days I will be off hormones which is amazing and also because I'm going to find out how many eggs I've got in a few hours which is the main purpose of this whole thing Hello, I'm Sophia Money Coots I'm 35 single and I'm freezing my eggs In this podcast I'm taking you through the story of my own egg freezing as well as talking to experts and women who've gone through the treatment themselves. If you haven't listened to episodes one to eight, maybe go and listen from the start, because it will all make much more sense. In this episode, it's the big moment. It's finally collection day, when I go into the lister to have my eggs taken out and frozen. Sometimes people refer to it as having their eggs harvested, which makes me feel a bit sick. But whatever. I head into hospital and I have my operation. I get good and bad news after this with a slight post-operation drama. I also speak to Sally, yet again, about her procedure and meet a woman who froze her eggs before undergoing radiotherapy, resulting in a very sweet little boy called Ollie. So, it was 8.30 on a Sunday morning in early July and I was in my massive private room at the Lister. I just popped on my gown and those pretty repulsive paper knickers and I was busy recording my thoughts on voice notes while I waited for the anaesthetist to come and brief me. So, fingers crossed for between 15 and 20, like Carrie the nurse said on Friday. Although, to be honest, I should really remind myself that at the beginning of all this, with my AMH of 10, I thought 10 would be a good number. Uh, So 10 plus is good. Anything under 10, I'll be a bit disappointed, but touch wood hopefully not and actually physically this morning I've woken up feeling pretty all right I felt very sick and was sort of gagging slightly when I went to sleep last night so then I lay there googling of a trail side effects and I convinced myself that I was getting OHSS which is can be fatal it's it's ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome and it basically it's what happens if your whole lower body is flooded with liquid basically your your follicles start release start releasing too much um, and you get very, very, very swollen and you can drown your lungs and your organs. So it's not very pleasant. And I, for whatever reason, until about 11pm last night, was lying there in bed Googling symptoms because I was convinced that me feeling sick is a sign of OHSS. And also if you have higher numbers of follicles than expected, that's another sign which I've had, I think 35 and under, which I am, you're more prone to it. But hopefully not. Touch wood. Hi. Morning. Yes. Hello. Hi. I'm good. Thanks. 
I'd already been told what to expect by lovely Dr. James, so I knew I had to get there super early and there'd be other patients waiting for the same procedure that day. Right, so yes, on the day itself, do I, what does that day look like? Do I bring someone, presumably I can't bicycle home afterwards? Yeah, it's often it's often a case, a bit of a waiting game, uh, because obviously, you know, we want to see everybody before they go to theatre, and it's much easier to see everybody in one swoop than coming up and down in between cases. Uh, so we'll not just to check they're feeling all right. Is that just yeah? Just to, and make sure that there's no there's no questions that you want to ask. Make sure you're happy. You all the consent forms are signed. So okay. we'll often get people in at seven o'clock. Um, if it's a long list, we'll get second batch of people in a little bit later. Mm-hmm. You'll have the procedure done in the morning. It, you know the actual process takes probably less than ten minutes. But you're down there. Oh, wow. You're down there for about an hour in terms of preparation for anesthesia beforehand. A little bit of recovery time afterwards. Then you come back to the room. Yep. In essence, once you're feeling okay, you have some lunch, and once you're up and about, once you mm. eat, then we'll let you go home. Now, ideally, um, you know we don't want you to drive home after an anaesthetic uh, or take yep. transport. So that ideally, we'd get somebody to come in with you and take you home. It all seems straightforward. I had a visit from the anaesthetist who took my blood pressure, and I put in my lunch order. I hadn't been allowed to eat breakfast, so lunch was a pretty thrilling prospect. Okay, here are my sandwich options. Tuna mayonnaise and cucumber, beef and watercress, ham and mustard, egg mayonnaise, cheese plamens, almost certainly egg mayonnaise. All sandwiches come with a house salad and kettle chips. I hung out in my room for a few hours until around 11.30 when I was taken down to a room next to the theatre where the anaesthetist went through what they'd be doing again. I don't know how many listeners have had an operation before. I've had a few in the past couple of years and it's always quite surreal. Like a scene from TV, you leave your ward or room, sometimes on a trolley, sometimes on foot, clutching your pillow, and go through to a room where everyone's wearing scrubs. Then they stick a cannula or needle in the back of your hand so they can inject the drugs through it. Ugh, I can never look at that bit. And then they normally make you count down from ten while you pass out. I got to about seven, and off I went to dream about my egg sandwich. While I was sedated, the doctor, not Dr James in the end, his colleague, got to work, inserting a needle through my vaginal wall and sucking out the eggs. I then woke up about 25 minutes later in the recovery room. I had what felt like very bad period pains, but mostly I just wanted to know how many eggs I got. I've heard that in some clinics they write the number on your hand so you can instantly wake up and look at it to see, but that seems quite odd to me, a bit crude. In my case, about half an hour later, when I was back in my own room, the doctor came to let me know how it had gone and tell me, da-da-da, how many eggs they'd retrieved. Oh, hello. All good? Yeah, it's 28 eggs. 28 eggs? Yeah, I'm going to tell you how many will be suitable for freezing. Oh, my gosh. 28 eggs, guys. I was stunned. It didn't mean there'd be 28 in the freezer because they only freeze the mature ones and not all of them would be mature, but that was a huge number. But he went on to say that because the number of eggs was so high and my oestrogen had been high before the operation, I was more at risk of developing OHSS. To be on the safe side, I was told I'd be prescribed a drug called cabergolin, which I'd take once a day for a week before bed because it can make you feel pretty sick. I had to drink a lot of water too, and watch out for feeling bloated, in pain, or short of breath. And as well as the cabergolin, I was going to be given antibiotics, just to minimise any risk of infection after the operation. 
Thank you so much. That's amazing. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Doctor. That's amazing, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I've got 28x, I can't believe it. <laughs> that is mad. <laughs> that is mad. And obviously, um, they can't all be, probably won't all be frozen, they won't all be mature, but that is so many. I kind of, I'm a bit stunned by that. Lucky you don't have to pay extra storage if you have more eggs, frankly. That's amazing. I need to text my mum and tell her immediately. I was so blown away by the number of eggs that I got, I wasn't really thinking about what the doctor had told me about the risk of OHSS. A few minutes later, I got a call from the embryologist downstairs in the Lister's lab who said that 22 of my eggs were mature and would be frozen. The amount of mature eggs in an average collection is 70% plus, so that was a pretty normal ratio, but more than I'd ever dreamt of. As I've mentioned before, doctors recommend freezing 20 eggs for a good chance of a baby, so 22 seemed like winning the jackpot. While I waited for my lunch to arrive, the clinic sorted out drug prescriptions for me and the other women who'd had their eggs frozen that morning. I keep hearing trolleys rattling along outside my room and I'm praying that it's my sandwich. <gasps> oh my God, look at this. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much, it looks amazing. There you go. Enjoy it, I will, thank you. Oh my god, look at this sandwich. Okay, dig in. When do you ever get to eat, just eat a whole bowl of custard? Mmm. I must do it more often. I want very last bit. Ouch, it hurts slightly to laugh almost worth four weeks of hormones and an operation, to be honest. Mm -mm. Remember, I had skipped breakfast, which is my favourite meal, so inhaling a whole bowl of custard was fair enough. I'd also brought my laptop with me, so after my custard feast, I settled in to watch a few episodes of Succession while the sedation wore off. And just as I was trying to unwind myself from the cannula to go to the loo, the doctor came back in. Um, they prescribed you two medications, cabergolin and the antibiotic. Yes. The antibiotic we were able to supply from the pharmacy. The other one, we don't. It's not. We don't have in the hospital. You're gonna have to use this. Uh, I, I got the doctor to prescribe to do an, okay. an outside prescription. So okay. You're gonna have to try outside. When do I need to start taking that? Is anything? I'm just worried because it's just once a day. So if you're able to get one today or later, you can do. I you don't. can start. Yeah, if I feel not like tomorrow. On Sunday. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's for eight days. Yes. By free. There's a 24 hour pharmacy. Yeah, I'll try and find a 24 hour pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, we don't have it in hours at the moment. Okay. The antibiotic is here. Called Moxiclab, 625 milligrams each tablet. It's three times a day for five days. And okay. that's it. Great, thank you. I might just be a while. I'm just going to try and call some pharmacies. I don't have any idea where you can get this. But they said it's outside pharmacy. Yeah, I'm just worried because it's quite specialist, no? Um, it's just, I feel like this is something I should really start taking soon because... It's so, uh, stimulation. Yeah. Okay, I'll try and find it now. Okay. 
Is someone going to flick you or are you no, going to attack you? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So the lift is just down there, but if you need any help, just let us know. Will do. Okay. Thank you very okay. much. Ugh. Okay, that is pretty crap. I cannot give me the drugs for OHSS, so I've now got to source them myself today. Not ideal. By this point, I'd sent my sister home as she'd been waiting in the car outside to pick me up. But it was all taking so much longer than expected that I felt guilty for making her hang around. And now this. The hospital didn't have any cabergolin, the drug that helps treat OHSS. So instead, I'd been given a prescription and asked to hunt it down myself, on a Sunday, post-operation, when my head felt like it was full of cotton wool. I rang a couple of pharmacies, but they didn't have it. And I started to panic. I think it was partly tiredness, partly hormones, partly loneliness at having to sort this out by myself, partly frustration at the fact that I was spending literally thousands at this hospital and it didn't feel like they were helping me out much. Sorry, I just can't find this anywhere, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I know I need it and the doctor wanted me to take it, but I just, I've tried I'll, three pharmacies. I'm going to try to ring him. I'm going to ask him if it's okay to start it tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Oh, that's ridiculous. Okay. This feels really pathetic. I think to Google my own. I'm trying to Google 24 hour pharmacies on a Sunday. Oh, I just want to go home. I felt like I had to track down a chemist which stocked this drug before leaving the hospital because I really wanted to go home with it. I was basically a bit paranoid by this stage that I was going to get OHSS and it was going to kill me. What a drama queen. So I just kind of sat in my big room on my own, orchestrating this wild goose chase. I'd come out of the operation around 12.30 and was still there, ringing pharmacies at 4pm. This is an actual joke that I've got to sort this out myself. I've called like oh, six or seven pharmacies and the last one had it, which is great. But so then I've got to send them my prescription. They've got to then courier at home. It's just mental that this hospital gives women this operation and then doesn't have the drug, prescribes the drugs and then doesn't have them on a Sunday. Oh God, fuck's sake. Anyway, I found it. So I'm going to send this nice lady, although she asked me why I was crying and wasn't deeply sympathetic, um, my prescription and then hopefully she's going to send it home. Oh, I'm so tired. This is so fucking boring. I can't believe I'm doing this. I should say, later I asked Dr James why they didn't have cabergolin at the Lister and he said he'd never heard of that happening before and would look into it. And the fact that I had my operation on a Sunday as opposed to a weekday might have complicated matters too. So just to reassure you, it was quite unusual that I was going through this. Not that this helped much at the time. In the end, I got an Uber up to Edgware Road to collect the drugs before taking the same Uber the whole way back home to South London. So that was really cheap. I want to give a shout out here to the sweetest Uber driver in the world who could clearly see I wasn't having a great time. And the next morning, I jumped on Zoom with producer Hannah to tell her all about what had happened in that Toyota Prius. So I called my stepmom, my dad in the car and I called my brother and explained the whole situation. And then I hung up and he said, oh, madam, have you just had IVF? And I was like, oh, um, well, no, I just had sort of half of IVF. I've had like the you know process up to the egg retrieval. And then he told me, his whole story about he and his wife trying to have IVF and it failed the first time and they were gearing themselves up for 
a second time and then they went on holiday and he said then we went on holiday and then boom it just happened and they then had a three-year-old who's called Amelia and then that set me off again so then I just burst into tears in the back of his taxi I mean I cried more yesterday than I've cried for a long time which is maybe good right cathartic tears Yeah, yeah but um anyway so eventually at about five half past five I got home to Crystal Palace and was really grateful to basically collapse and my nieces my nieces very very matter of fact didn't seem to notice that I hadn't been there they were just watching Willy Wonka so I just sat down and watched Willy Wonka with them <laughs> and I knew my sister had some leftover chicken pie that she was gonna heat up for me and I was thinking oh my god a bit of the world's most delicious chicken pie with the world's most delicious pastry and a glass of white wine is all I want right now and then a bath and so I got back and I was like no shit I can't have the wine the cabagolin you're not really supposed to drink on I think and I thought but I'll have a bath and then I googled it and actually I wasn't allowed a bath either because if you've had a needle through your vagina basically you're not supposed to sit in water which could cause any sort of infection so I started running a bath and then I remembered that with previous injections you can't have a bath for a while so I then googled it and I was like oh god and I had a shower and got into bed that was fine so yeah it was quite a long a long day but mostly good you know the main result was mad number of eggs so yeah yeah great. I mean it's crazy because initially you were like I want to get 10 eggs yeah I want to get 10 and I, I was bracing myself to think okay but when I had my fertility test that was a year ago that was last August my AMH was 10 then so it might have dropped so I could get less so I was busy trying to tell myself Okay, you might not get 10. You might get 10. You might get less. Let's not be disappointed. And yeah. and then obviously we knew, you know, having had scans in the past week, it was looking good, but I still didn't want to let myself get sort of carried away. And then the doctor came in yesterday and said, no, we got 28. And I feel, I mean, I feel a bit, there's a funny thing with numbers, I think, of eggs. It's such a sensitive thing. And, you know, if someone got one or two and feels awful about that, then I don't want to you know, make them feel any worse or or sort of ashamed of it. Um, so I'm trying to temper my sort of incredulity that I've got so many with the fact that obviously lots of women don't get that lucky. Yeah, um, it's one of those things that it's not, it's not based on anything that you've actually personally done. Right. It's totally, it's totally kind of luck and yeah. just, um, just your biological makeup, isn't it's, it? It's complete fluke. It was an incredible result, and I feel super lucky. Even though, of course, just to reiterate, none of these eggs guarantee me a baby. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A few days later... I was still feeling pretty rubbish and bloated, potentially with a very mild case of OHSS, which isn't that uncommon. Around a third of women who go through this operation, for egg freezing or IVF, develop a form of it. In very extreme cases, it can lead to hospitalisation or even be fatal. Don't worry, this happens rarely. Although it's important to look out for the symptoms I mentioned earlier, which include bloating and shortness of breath. This is exactly what Sally Nabanja experienced after her egg collection. So I just remember feeling really tired afterwards. I would sleep for long periods of time and then I'd have a nap as well. And luckily I wasn't working. Um, so I just slept a lot. And, and I noticed that my stomach was getting really bloated and I just felt really uncomfortable. I was really constipated and tired. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had exactly the same thing. At the constipation, sorry for everyone, this is a lot of information, but it's also a very important thing, I think, to talk about. I'd imagine Sally's voice sounds quite familiar to you by now. This is the third episode I've dragged her into, after telling me about her egg collection and her adventure getting sperm from Denmark. As you might remember, she had 27 eggs collected, of which 22 were put in the freezer. But for about a week afterwards, you feel pretty crap, right? And in your case, it got more serious, I think. Yeah, I hadn't even read up on ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. I didn't. He'd said, you might get this thing. And I thought, oh, OK, fine. <laughs> you know, and I thought. They yeah, would, yeah, exactly. Very small risk. I thought they would monitor me. So I didn't worry about it. And when I got bloated, I thought it was because I was constipated. Um, so yeah. I did call them and say, this is what's happening. And they told me to take some laxatives and drink lots of fluid. But they never asked or even mentioned ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So I hadn't looked at any of the symptoms. I, I didn't think about it. Then I started to find it hard to breathe. OK. How many days after collection was that? This was about seven days. Okay, And I went to um, the Liverpool Women's Hospital um, and they have an A&E where you can just walk in, luckily. Um, and so and th- that way you get to see a specialist as opposed to just an A&E doctor. But the first doctor wasn't too sure. I think I'd walked in and looked rather well, except for this big bloated belly. Stomach. Um, so she wasn't really sure. So she said she'd take some blood tests and I could go home. And if things got worse, at least they had a baseline recording. I got to the car and she called me and called me back in. Oh, wow. And, Very quickly. Um, yeah. And said that um, my blood count was unusual. and They wanted to do the test again. Um, so they took the sample again and I went back. Uh, and this time I was on my way home and my friend called, the one doing the PhD, and I was mm. telling him what was happening. And he said, no, go back, go straight back, because I think what they're describing is that your blood is, um, you're so, you've lost so much fluid from your blood that all your red cells are clumping together. So, so I went back and, um, and I was admitted and I just remember falling asleep for like two days. 
I don't remember very much about the hospital stay. Um, They had to um, give me this fluid um, called albumin, which sits better in the bloodstream, doesn't leak out of the vessels. Um, And so I was on an albumin drip for a while. And I still had so much fluid pressing up against my diaphragm, that's why I couldn't breathe, that they had to aspirate it out with a syringe. What does that mean? Oh, I see. So they what? They literally poke a syringe in you and drain it. Yeah, yeah. And just oh, I mean, you seem very relaxed about it, but was it sort of terrifying? I was in a real fog at that time. I just remember being okay. so sleepy and everything that was happening to me. I just wanted to go back to sleep. I was like, okay, fine, just do it. I'll go back to sleep. Yeah, do that's whatever. All I can remember <laughs> is being so sleepy. Yeah. Um, and and that's what got me through. I think I would have panicked if I was more alert and aware about what was happening and what the mm. site. I didn't even look it up because I was just too tired. Yeah, um, I think that's the other thing actually that's worth pointing out. After a month or so of you know taking drugs to produce all these eggs, I was sort of quite fed up of not of feeling not great by that point. You just want to feel like a normal human being again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange time. And, you know, they don't tell you not to schedule things or not to plan to be at work afterwards. Mm. They say the day after the retrieval, a couple of days, but it's it was like a week and a week and a half. I was still not back to myself. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely found that. I've read accounts of women who say, you know, I had the retrieval and I skipped back into my office the next day. And I just, there was no way, even if I had an office, that I was going to be skipping anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know, I guess everyone has a different um, Course, yeah. experience. But what was what I found strange was that the clinic didn't check up on me um, yeah. after that as well. But I guess they just expect people to call in and say how things are It's a problem. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that there wasn't that option available to me. I just didn't know to report these certain things to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you were in hospital for two days and they sort of made you better. Yes, and I was discharged on some fragment, which is like a like warfarin, like a blood thinner. I had to take that for seven days. Sally was soon better, but she had a pretty grim time with all this, so I was grateful that I felt relatively all right in comparison. And while I spent a few days recovering from the operation by sitting around on my mum's sofa watching interiors programmes, I was also thinking about what would happen next. So when you were kind of going into it, you mm. talked a couple of times about potentially doing two rounds. Is that still something that you, Ugh. like, how has how is the amount of eggs that you got changed your mind about whether you might do a second round or not? Or has yeah, it? no, it, I sort of am still in two minds about this. I The number of eggs, so 22 eggs, you know, they, they at the beginning of all this, when you start looking into egg freezing, 20 seems to be the magic number that all the experts and doctors recommend you get because that gives you a relatively good chance of a baby, of what they call one live birth. Of course, that varies a bit depending on what age you were when they froze the eggs, but 20 is is the aim. I never thought that in one round I would get 20, as I said, because my AMH was 10 and because they'd scanned me and it looked like I had 12 follicles, I thought I might get, you know, 10 would be good. The, the thing that I would change, if I'd known now that I was going to get 22 eggs, I would unquestionably have bought some sperm off the internet <laughs> do you think so yeah yeah and i would have frozen 10 you know frozen 10 or 12 eggs and frozen 10 or 12 embryos i think that would be a really that would have been a really sensible thing to do but it's hindsight right you just don't know and um you know i'm still in a stronger position having got 22 eggs than having got you know eight eggs and Completely, then yeah. seriously having to be thinking about another round 
because I'm now thinking, well, maybe, you know, if I've got 22 eggs, do I need to th- worry about then freezing embryos on top of that? Maybe not, because I think the stats are if you're 35 and you freeze between 15 and 20 eggs, that gives you between 70 and 90% chance of a baby later on. And obviously I've frozen over that number. So you'd hope that the percentages would be over that. So I I hope, you know, if I come to use these eggs at some point, I've got a relatively good chance of of yeah. getting a baby from them. Um, I mean, the other thing is, say I did another round and, you you know, I might get around the same number. I, I would be, I think I would be weirdly uncomfortable about freezing that many embryos. I mean, not all of them would make embryos, but say I did another round and I got 22 eggs again and that made... I don't know, between 15 and 20 embryos. I just, oh, there, there is something that sits not very well with me about having that number of embryos that you're just clearly never going to use in a freezer. Mm. It's it's not like I'm deeply religious, but I just, it feels a bit strange to me that deliberately creating life, really, when you know that you might use one or two of them. Um, that makes me a bit uncomfortable. So anyway, these are all questions that I can mull over the next couple of months I think right now I just can't face the thought of doing all those drugs again and putting myself through it. But it's that thing of if you've gone this far, if you've spent all that money, of course it would be double the money. Actually it would be more than that if I froze embryos because it would be the the whole egg freezing cycle again plus the money for the sperm donor. So it would Mm. be a lot more money. Um, But then you're, you know, you really are covered. It's a hideous word that, but you know, so I'll think, but right now I'm sort of just happy that I've got 22. But so how do you feel in terms of like, you must feel quite relieved and... Yeah, I think the over, I think the overwhelming emotion is relief, really. Relief on so many levels. I got that number of eggs, that I can stop taking the drugs, that it's done, that I can sort of get back to normal life. So relief and grateful, I suppose, yeah. that, you know, that I've had a relatively good experience. When I know for a lot of women, it would be a hideous, very sad, very difficult process. So... I can't imagine what it's like, you know, if you put your body through all of this and you've done the injections and the hormones and the ups and downs and then to only find that you've got a couple, one or two eggs or not, you know, that would be really difficult. So relief and grateful, really. And the fact that I've now got 22 eggs in the freezer definitely makes you just, it makes your shoulders drop a bit and you just think, Mm. okay, that is breathing space. It feels quite, it feels liberating to have done that. Are you proud of yourself? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I'm always quite harsh on myself. So I, yeah, no, I am. My um, dad and my stepmom and my mum actually were all sending such supportive messages. And actually what I can read out, the message my dad said last night was so sweet. Just as I was going off to sleep. Hang on. He said, welcome back. I hope you're now tucked up, drugged and asleep. I'm in total awe of what you're doing and feel completely inadequate to show how much I admire and love you for this journey which was so sweet, <laughs> made me quite teary. Sleep very well and try not to do too much over the next couple of days, Pops, which was so sweet because, Aww. yeah, <laughs> I guess, you know, for, for men and for a father, they sort of probably can't quite understand this thing that, you know, women, that his daughter or that women do. Um, and it must seem, I think for, you know, my parents on one level quite strange and quite sad, I think that, you know, that I, you know, I know that my parents wouldn't have necessarily wished that, this is, you know, they would have loved me to meet someone and have babies with someone. And of course I might still do that, but I think they probably, there's a bit of sadness that I, you know, I've had to do this. Um, so that was very sweet. So yeah, no, I am proud of myself. 
I just, yeah, it feels weird to sort of feel proud when it's not like, you know, it's not like a work achievement. As you said earlier, it's like something that just sort of the lottery of biology, I suppose, that I've got lucky with. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm proud that I've sort of got through the injections and so on. It feels like quite a hurdle to have cleared. Big shout out to my family here for all being so supportive and lovely. I wish everyone had someone to cry to in a taxi and someone else making them chicken pie for when they got home after an operation. But despite the tears and the needles and the enormous cost and the dramatic Uber journey, the whole way through this process, I tried to remember that if this helps me have a baby when I might not otherwise be able to, it will have been worth it. Who's the lady? Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Say morning. Morning. Oh, sweet. Bit shy. It's going to be a really good boy and be quiet, aren't you? Yes. This is Rachel Crute and her son, Oliver, who's now three and was born from one of her frozen eggs. You might remember me talking about the difference between social and non-social egg freezing earlier in the series. Social egg freezing is what I'm doing. I've chosen to do it. Non-social is when you're advised to do it because of a medical issue that might impact your fertility. Rachel had her eggs frozen non-socially in 2010. So I had a couple of operations, but benign spinal tumours. Uh-huh. After the second operation, about a year later, they said to me that they had kind of started to grow again. And the only option was radiotherapy, which they said before wouldn't have worked for benign tumours. But um, it was kind of like the only thing they could try next. Um, and he said, look, you, you have to have radiotherapy. Um, and I can see you're at the age where you may want to have children in the future. So if you do, the only option is to freeze some eggs. Did that, that obviously delayed the radio. Yeah. Um, was that a big deal for you? I mean, was there a risk in delaying it? And did you feel that strongly that you wanted to freeze your eggs? I did. Yeah, I did. I mean, I think as soon as they said, this is an option, I was like, no, I need to do that. I need to do what I can because if I do want children in the future, because I always did want children. It wasn't that like I ever said I didn't. I always like wanted to, wanted to have four children. <laughs> That's you- not going to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, I did want to do that straight away. I thought this is something I need to do. Um, Holly, <laughs> building a bridge. Um, it delayed it slightly. It wasn't like my tumours are slow growing tumours. So it wasn't like um, they were going to grow rapidly in the space. And actually, after doing one cycle of harvesting, my neurosurgeon said to me, if you want, you can do another lot. But by that point, oh, Holly, Holly, by that point, I was a bit like, no. Just let's get on with this. Rachel did one cycle of egg freezing and decided to freeze half as eggs and half as embryos with her partner at the time. Went to the clinic to have the harvested and my partner at the time held the door open for me and said, oh, I don't want to do this. What, he didn't want to freeze embryos? Embryos, yeah. But I'm like, wow. wish me, even a few hours before so I could have told them. Now I'm going to have to tell them when we get in there. So that was fine. I'm... I don't remember them making much of a fuss, but I just said, like, instead of half eggs, half embryos, we're not doing that bit. We're just going for the egg harvesting. All eggs. Better to know then, I suppose. In hindsight, very much better. So, yeah, I had that done. Got 10 taken out and frozen. After the collection, Rachel had radiotherapy and broke up with her partner. Because it was classed as non-social, her treatment was funded by the NHS which also paid for the first three years of the storage fees. After a few years, I got a bit an invoice for them. And so then I was like, mm, you know, do I pay it? Obviously, do I want to keep them? Um, by this point, I had met someone else, someone new. And um, 
And I said, like, you know, I, I probably can't have children naturally. I can't have children naturally. So the only option I've got these eggs stored, but like mm-hmm. there's such a low chance of it working. So probably no children. And then he was fine. I really, you'd sort of almost written it off in your head. Because it was so, and it was even back 10 years ago, it was even like, there's not even that many children born from frozen eggs. Mm. Even now, I don't think so. So mm. when I looked into it, I thought that you'd have to be so lucky for it to work. So kind of think that you can't have children. I think you get into the mindset from that initial appointment where he said to me, this is your only option to have children. And you kind of like watch all these people having babies naturally and think, well, that's just not fair. So I'm just going to pretend I don't like children anyway. So I was a bit like, who wants children? Like, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. That mindset. It's a sort of protective thing. Rachel's outlook on children changed a few years later when sadly her father became ill and her mother died. And then I suppose I just thought, I need to try and have a child. Like, it was kind of like, what have I got? You know, I've got no mum. And I told them that day when the neurosurgeon said, you, you probably won't be able to have children now. I never used to tell my parents um, stuff about my back problem. I told them just as much as they needed to know because I didn't want them to worry. But that day I remember going back like crying saying, I can't have children. So the last kind of they knew I wasn't going to have children. Yeah. So I thought, what have I got to lose now? Like I can, my dad was in the home. I, I then like moved, I moved over with my boyfriend. I thought, let's just go to Bath, see what they say. Rachel had all her treatment in Bath because her local clinic in Plymouth didn't offer freezing. The NHS wouldn't pay for her to have the eggs fertilised and implanted because she'd turned 40, so she had to fund that part herself. But she didn't mind too much. You know, it, I've had I had the treatment. I've had two spinal operations and radiotherapy on the NHS. I've had my share. <laughs> that's true. That's a very good way of looking at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, no, that's very sensible. So I'm grateful that I'd got to that point, um, you know, with the operations. It could have been much worse, the outcome. So yeah, I was true. just really lucky that they managed to get me through that. And by the way, that new boyfriend Rachel mentioned earlier is now her husband, and it was his sperm that was used for the fertilisation. I think. Well, I think they thought the ten. I think there were like seven that they fertilised, and then they give you a daily update on how the embryos are going. And daily phone calls. You kind of did want them, but didn't want them. Didn't really want to answer the phone every time you arrived. Yeah, I can imagine. So things started off with seven embryos, and then and then it went down. I think somehow it went down to three. Um, and then, of course, they say to you, right, okay, you're due to come up like tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. um, then you do all the injections again and the pessaries. Yeah, um, doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> the pessaries is the worst part of the whole process, I think. Okay. Um, okay. You get your body ready. Um, but when you get to the day, that those embryos might not be any good either. So you may come up all prepared to do it. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can't. There's nothing to do. Oh, so it's right down to the last minute. You don't know whether that embryo is going to be ready yeah. to be implanted. So I, I, I can't remember the details, but I think, you know, it's like, right, okay, we've got one really good embryo, wow. which they take you into a room. They took us into a room and showed us a picture of the embryos. And they said, like, this is one, the best one. So that's the one we're going to put in. What well, can you see? What does it look like? Yeah, I'll have to send you a picture. Oh, yeah, do, do, do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just looks like a round circle of cells. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to put that in then. And then, yeah, have them so, put in. So you were implanted that day in Bath? <laughs> yes, yeah. And then how long's the wait? I don't know anything about this bit. This is what I'm considering in the future. So. <laughs> he knows you're talking about him. He wants to join in. <laughs> so, so I remember we went in 
Bath city centre and um, like just was it was just like a bit oh let's just go and do what we normally do we just go and have a coffee a bit of cake hang out in the shops and and then waited and I I was just very much like well it won't have worked anyway just won't have worked um two weeks later did a test and it's positive and I was like what no not I just, I just didn't like want to celebrate because I think the whole process just t- makes you so anxious right and every day is like what if something happens today what if something happens today Rachel paid for two other slightly lower quality embryos to be frozen in case her pregnancy didn't work out but luckily little Oliver arrived safe and sound she since donated those other embryos for scientific research did anyone mention during the process when you were pregnant anything about whether there would be health implications for having a baby from frozen eggs no, um, the, one of the nurses, I remember her saying to me, um, once it's put in, it, once you've had this implanted, if you're pregnant, then that is a normal pregnancy from then on. Like, don't let anyone treat it any differently. You're pregnant and that's a normal pregnancy. I kind of looked into it a little bit about um, abnormalities from that, but I thought, well, I'm not going to go into it too much in case it just worries me even more. Yeah, I totally get it. But I kept just thinking, well, okay, my eggs were younger then. So even though I'm, I'm older, mm. I'm not carrying a baby made with eggs from my age. Because mm. when you're looking at forms, it's always like, oh, older, your eggs are older, there's more chance of abnormalities. And so, yeah. Would you have, if you hadn't been with a partner, would you have ever considered doing it by yourself? So single motherhood, donor sperm? Um. I don't know. Probably not knowing how hard it is. No. Oh no! Don't say that because that might be me. <laughs> okay, so you wouldn't recommend it. Um, I think it depends how much. I, I think the problem is when you're told you might not have something, you're kind of a bit like. And I've got friends that have wanted to have children and haven't been able to, and it and and it's awful. And um, and I don't think people that can just naturally have them mm. never really understand that the pain when you're told that you might not have something that you really want. Mm. Um, although there are obviously other things that, you know, people go through. Um, but then when you've got one, it's lovely. But you <laughs> couldn't do this on my own. <laughs> so it's really difficult. But I think if it's, if it's something you really want and you're younger, um, mm. I'm not saying it, it's hard to be a mum in your 40s, but it is a bit more difficult, I think. Mm yeah okay noted and he's how old now he's three three he was three in may miracle yeah. baby very sweet yeah i mean we just mind that orange juice oliver just a second sorry he um when you think about it it's just like amazing how it happened and yeah it's a miracle would you what would you say to any women who are thinking about freezing or have eggs in the freezer and are deliberating whether or not to use them like you were at one point do you have any i would say I would say if you're thinking about it, just do it because time just goes so fast. And before you just freeze, you're 40. Mm. Yeah. Or if you've got them frozen and and you're thinking about it and you're in the right place and you should just do it because I think the longer you leave it, I wasn't in the position, although I wish I had done it when I was young, a little bit younger, because then I probably would have maybe tried to use the other embryos and had more. Oh, as he hits his head on the floor, more children. Because I do feel bad that he's gonna—he's an only child. But, but yeah, I, I think if you if you're at the age and you and like yourself in your position, you think I'm gonna do it. Just do it because mm-hmm. else you'll regret not doing it. 
I found talking to Rachel so fascinating, not only to hear her story of non-social freezing, but to hear her opinion on being an older mum. Post-collection, I suppose that's the next big thing for me to consider. If I want to use these eggs, at what point would that be? I'm now 35. Do I want to become a mum at 40? 45? 50 even? Last year, there was tremendous uproar in the press when the actress Bridget Nielsen revealed that she'd had a baby from frozen eggs at the age of 54. And then, if I want more than one child, should I do another round? And if I did that, should I freeze those as embryos? It almost feels like, having gone through freezing, there are more questions to answer than ever before. In the final episode of the series, I continue to recover from the operation and experience a mega period. I think that's the technical term. As my reproductive system returns to normal. I also pay a visit to the Lister Fertility Clinic for a debrief of Dr James, where I see my eggs tucked up in the freezer. Basically, the eggs go into a tank. Oh my God. It's likely it's somewhere in here. in there. Freezing Time was produced and written by Hannah Varrell and Sophia Money-Coots and created by Offscript. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 